Bernard Jenkin. I'm Caroline Spellman. I'm Maria Miller. I'm Caroline Dynage. Hello, I'm Margot James. Thanks for joining Women's Parliamentary Radio today to look both back and forwards at how the Conservative Party is tackling the issue of increasing women's representation in Westminster. Deborah. Thank you, Linda. Let's hear now from Caroline Dynage and Margot James. You both were elected in 2010. Margot James, what was the Commons like then? And what was your overriding memory of it? Had it improved by then? Well, from the accounts that I listened to with great interest from Bernard, Maria and Caroline, I think it had improved by then. We were a greatly increased number on the women conservative side. And another big difference was the huge number of newly elected conservative MPs in 2010. We were the majority, actually. And although women were a minority, we were quite a a sizeable minority of the 2010 Conservative intake. And that meant that there were all an awful lot of men sort of finding their feet as well as women. So I think that I didn't really find a particularly sexist culture when I first arrived. Obviously, it was very new and nothing prepares you really for being a member of Parliament, even quite a lot of prior knowledge of how Parliament works. But I think there was a sense that, uh, that we were finding our way, men and women, together. So I found it to be, you know, altogether a better environment, thanks in large part to colleagues that are on this show with us who, you know, blazed the trail going back several decades. Caroline Dynage, how did you find it? Well, I think we were all probably a little bit numb from the hellish experience of fighting a general election in the first place. But then I felt very comforted, actually. I think I had envisaged a very male-dominated environment. I came from a manufacturing business, which was a very male-dominated environment. Often, I remember as a late teenager in my 20s, walking into a trade show and feeling like the stranger walking into the saloon in a cowboy movie. And And I kind of figured that that might be the same here. And I remember being actually very impressed by the new intake of other female MPs of the variety of different backgrounds they came from there were you know GPs there were lawyers there were journalists there were business people and you know the number of that were mums as well and actually thinking yeah this is a I can make friends here I can work well here and and this is going to be a good place to be. What kind of issues have you both championed for women? Caroline Dynage there's been campaigns over things like female genital mutilation or FGM that have been quite successful although more needs to be done in campaigns over women and unwanted pregnancies there's often cross-party support for these campaigns men and women isn't there yes we've had great support and you know some of the the male members of parliament have really got behind this whole sort of men as agents of change agenda for me coming from a business background I've always been really keen to try and see more girls go into business and enterprise and we've seen phenomenal results in the last few years you know more women led businesses than ever before still are not enough we we know that if women were starting businesses at the same rate as men we'd have a million more businesses in the UK which I'm sure the Chancellor wouldn't turn his nose up at but but you know that's always been you know inspiring the next generation inspiring young girls in, in to sort of fulfill their ambitions and to achieve their aspirations has always been a great passion of mine. Margot James, as a vice chair of the party before you were elected, you did a good deal of equality work and you're an A-list candidate working with Women to Win. Can you explain the changes you made and how they worked in women's favour? Well, back before I was elected, when I was vice chairman of the party for women, one of the main things I worked on was trying to get the issues that concerned women 
in greater proportion than men up to the forefront of the Conservative Party's manifesto in 2010. And I did this with the support of uh, Conservative campaign headquarters in a series of meetings I held all over the country with all sorts of pressure groups, interest groups. Caroline, you came to one, I remember, in Coventry on domestic violence. I ran about a dozen of these meetings all over the country and out of that came an awful lot of policy ideas, some of which found their way into the Conservative Party's manifesto. So I mainly focused on policy. I worked alongside Bernard Jenkin, who was Deputy Chairman of the party at the time for candidates, and the late Shireen Ritchie, who did a wonderful job getting more women selected as well. But uh, my main focus was policy because I think really I was a candidate trying to get selected myself and there could have been a bit of a conflict of interest if I'd been sort of in charge of the candidate selection process. Of course I wouldn't have promoted myself. How, what a terrible thought. Uh, Caroline Dynage was just saying there that it's not just a matter of single issue campaigns that are women focused but actually promoting women in, in, in a wider agenda in business and education and elsewhere. Do you think it's two-pronged in that way? Well, I certainly think that you have to start with young women, girls, really. And I've done a lot of work in my constituency, founding the Aspiration Programme, as I call it. And I've reached two and a half thousand young people in my constituency through a series of events over the last... We're in our fourth year now. And one of the big issues that I promote is... Um, an end to occupational segregation because a lot of the reason why women are in low-paid jobs is that when they're young that is what they aspire to and it's about changing attitudes at school really so that women realize young girls realize if they're good at science they can go on to be doctors and engineers and manufacturers and they don't have to aim for low-paid occupations so I do a lot of work around that I served in the last parliament on the business select committee um, and so I, I promoted women in business as Caroline did we're both from a business background and also on the trade side I led trade missions to developing markets and made sure that I took a lot of women businesses on those trade missions so I think it's looking for opportunities to promote women at all ages and in all facets of life and if I might conclude with the work I did on the gay marriage bill which was very very important to gay women and that we were led by the Prime Minister on that but we did an awful lot some of us backbenchers to make sure that we persuaded colleagues enough colleagues to get that legislation through and it was very challenging for a good 12 months of the last Parliament so to do but we did win and that was absolutely wonderful I did a lot on that too. It wasn't an easy task. Caroline Dynage working in both justice and education what are your equality priorities now? It's amazing, really. I, I was surprised when I had this appointment because this combination of roles has never been done before. But the amount of crossover between the two departments is, is extraordinary and grows every day. For example, the trans inquiry into prisons. For example, the work we're doing supporting women who are in the criminal justice system and particularly female offenders. The work we're doing with women in prisons. And, uh, you know, it actually, it, there's actually a massive crossover between the two government departments and it's actually really helpful, I think, to have a Minister in Justice who comes from the background of, of, of women and equalities. Thank you, Deborah. Right, well, let's dig perhaps a, a little bit more into the party itself. I'm going to be addressing this issue and this question to all of you. First of all, do you think there is a consensus on equality issues in the Conservative Party or is it still very much work 
in progress. And I'm going to begin with you, Bernard Jenkin. In May 2013, you voted for the same-sex marriage bill, a very controversial issue at the time. Perhaps still in private, some MPs do not think much of it. So do you think that actually all members of the Conservative Parliamentary Party are wanting the sort of equality representation that we're talking about? The straight answer to that is no. The Conservative Party, like the other major party, the Labour Party, is quite a broad church. There's a very broad spectrum of opinion and of ages and generational outlooks. And it would be astonishing if there was a a uniform view about what has been a very dramatic change in our society over the last generation or so. There is a consensus that these issues can be discussed now in a way that they were almost taboo subjects, say, under Margaret Thatcher, who, of course, couldn't understand why there needed to be any positive action for women. She never got around that. And I think there's an understanding now that... Because men's and women's life experiences are so different, because we are prisoners of our physical bodies which make different demands upon us, and women are confronted with choices that men don't have to make about, for example, whether to have children or have a career, we have to make special provision to deal with that. Otherwise, it is society and the institutions that underpin our society that lose out. We want that female talent in Parliament, and if we want that female talent, we've got to enable it. Deborah. Thank you, Linda. So what were the origins of Women to Win? Well, there was a group of women, Theresa May, my wife Anne, and others who were desperately trying to promote this agenda. And Anne, quite obviously, was very frustrated we were making such poor progress. Well, I say we, the men weren't involved. And I finally said to look, the men run the Conservative Party, the men leading the Conservative Party. The central office is stuffed full of men. The director of candidates is a man. You're not going to get anywhere with this until you get the men involved. And Women to Win started with a letter from six male MPs, me included, to launch this initiative that became Women to Win, and it was about harnessing the energy of men to change the debate in the Conservative Party. It was, after all, men who voted to give women the the vote uh, originally. Until women are running the country as much as men, progress for women is going to depend upon persuading and motivating men. And that campaign has now gone from strength to strength. Yes, the Women to Win campaign is an ongoing campaign which Anne is very much instrumental in. It's about involving male donors, male party supporters, male MPs, male peers, as much as the women and bringing on the talent and attract the women talent into the organisation so that they want to be MPs because encouraging women to want to be MPs is the other half of the battle because so many more men want to be MPs and quite often the women just feel crowded out. But the really encouraging thing is we've done so much by persuasion in the Conservative Party that nearly all the women candidates who are now MPs were chosen in competition to men and that was about changing the expectation of associations. Used to go to an association and if you'd ask them to draw a picture of an MP, what do you think of when you think of an MP? It would have been a man. So their predisposition was to think, well of course we're going to have a man. I even remember one story where we went to one constituency, they said, oh well we had a woman last time so we'll think have a man this time. And the idea that they might have two women in succession they thought would have been really eccentric. And the idea of judging people on their merits or actually making a decision, and Stephen Dorrell put this very well, we all know the picture the Holbein portrait of Henry VIII looks like. Image is not a new thing in politics, and our image with women was terrible because we looked very male. And it was about going to the safe constituencies and saying, look, you can afford to take what you might consider a risk. You must choose a woman because we need more women in Parliament. You're not just choosing an MP for your own constituency, you're choosing a national party in a national parliament. And... 
persuading associations to take that responsibility, even if they were, dare I say, the dyed-in-the-wool, blue-rinse fraternity. They got it because they believe in the future of the party and the future of the country. Thank you, Deborah. Linda. Caroline Spellman, do you agree with what Bernard has said? Have you felt at times that there's been a, a bit of a stone to push up the hill and maybe it's getting better? It's definitely getting better, and each successive intake more accurately reflects the changes in society outside Parliament, without a doubt. I should think there's a clear majority in favour of this modernising agenda. But, you know, let's let's give credit where it's due. David Cameron provided leadership on these issues. You know, he's a classic sort of young modern father facing all the challenges of the juggling that has to go on and, and bringing that personal knowledge including, you know, very personal knowledge of coping with disability within the family into our parliament. And I think, in a sense, a leader shapes the party in in its own image over time. I think that does happen. But you do need a party leader who will drive forward. And there are, you know, still more issues to deal with. I know Maria has been a, a champion for transgender. Uh, And that's another battle that needs to be fought. So I think with all of these issues on equality, I think individual battles are won, but, you know, it would be complacent to say that the war is over. Yes, indeed. Maria Miller, yes, transgender is an issue I know you're very interested in at the moment, which, again, is controversial. Many people do not agree with perhaps the way that society is moving. Well, having been involved in the Equal Marriage Act and the passage of that with very great help from Margot and Bernard and many others, I know what controversy feels like. And certainly looking at trans issues are you know hugely controversial but you know that's what select committees are there for we're not there to simply look at the straightforward issues we're there to look at the issues which maybe are going to be thought about more broadly in society in the decades to come your initial question about the party and is it does it have a common view on these things i think consensus in any political party on these issues would be impossible and politics would be pretty boring if we all thought exactly the same things but the one thing that does i find bind us all together within our party is a deep feeling about fairness and that people should be treated in a decent and fair manner and I think that that is something which does bind us all together and I think something which we can all build on. I shan't ask you what percentage perhaps of people you might regard as dinosaurs or semi-dinosaurs but I mean in a situation like same-sex marriage or transgender issues where there are people who stay very heartfelt in opposition to the way that the party's going what do you do? Do you leave them in a corner or do you actually go and try and persuade them? Well, well interestingly, when it comes to transgender, obviously the one of the biggest areas of dissent is from very some feminist sections, and obviously that is falls across the house. Uh, indeed, some of the most difficult Twitter that I've had to deal with has been from feminist organisations. So I think you these things don't fall neatly across party lines. And I think when it comes to reaching out to people, the first thing you have to do is to accept that there will be different points of view and to respect them. That. And certainly when it, when I was dealing with the Equal Marriage Act, I found that respect went an awful long way. And certainly I found the same when it comes to tra- transgender issues as well. I mean, respect of people's views, but s- certainly not respect of individuals who might incite violence or, or hatred, which unfortunately there has been some. Margot James, what's your take on this? My take is that the party's made huge progress. I agree with Caroline. It really did need David Cameron to take a lead, which he did valiantly. And the result is many more Conservative women MPs. Still not enough. I agree with Bernard. It should be 50%. But I think even if we could get to a third, then I think we could start to tackle some of the cultural impediments. Because it's not, I mean, it's about numbers, but it's also about why we're here and a culture that gets the best out of women. 
as it does currently get the best out of men. And I don't think we are there yet on the what I would call the cultural side. There's a lot more work to be done, which is actually a little bit more difficult because it's not as easy to quantify. And I, I would like to sp- you know, spend this parliament really focusing on some of those barriers and removing them to the newly elected women MPs so, so that we can get the, the most out of the potential that they offer. And, and Caroline Dynage, as, as one of the, the newer entrants, how do you feel about this fact that not necessarily everyone is always with every bit of equality legislation coming up? Well, I think the Conservative Party has always been a broad church. Largely, everybody comes with us in the end. But I think, you know, Parliament is always at its strongest when it more reflects those that, the people that we represent. And the more diverse we are, the stronger we are, and the better we can reflect the needs of our country as we move forward. Deborah, thank you, Linda. Let me round up by asking in one sentence a final question to you all. What change would you like to see the Conservative Party make in 2016 to progress both equality and women's representation in Westminster. Maria Miller. I'd like to see a commitment to increasing the number of women female MPs on the Conservative benches at the next election, which will be a challenge given we have a reduction in the number of seats as a result of boundary changes. Bernard Jenkin. Well, I think the success that we've had in recent years is about men taking responsibility for the change, not just the women. And I think um, David Cameron is the leading example of that. Where does it go from here? I think we must be prepared to talk about legislation for all parties. It's one thing to allow different parties to do different things. The Labour Party are now much better represented by women in the Conservative Party, and it's going to take us ages to catch up unless we do something. And I think we should start talking about what legislation there should be, because there's no parliament in the world that has created equality for men and women in representation without some form of positive action across the board. And that shouldn't be a taboo subject. I'd like to see a bit more modern business practice, a bit more certainty over the hours that we work so that people can actually plan for the responsibilities that they have in life. And I think one specific thing, to extend the experiment on electronic voting for members of parliament who are too sick to attend or perhaps suffering maternity leave. I really fail to see why there can't be some compassionate leave arrangement to make it possible for both sexes actually to participate fully in the life of this parliament. Marco James. I would like to see more women special advisers and more women around the Prime Minister and the Chancellor in their core inner circle teams. Because I think that my colleagues have really said what I would like to see in Parliament, but there's more to Parliament that meets the eye. And some of those backroom changes would be a jolly good thing. Caroline Dynage. Well, for me, I think it's about how we attract the next generation of female MPs. And I think it's a lot about the image that we as parliamentarians give of what the job entails because actually being a member of parliament is not all about the tub thumping speeches and the screaming and waving our bits of paper around in the house of commons it's actually all about a lot of the skill sets that women have in abundance the ability to empathize the ability to listen the ability to multitask the ability to get things done and i think that we have the job of work to actually get out there and and make sure people are aware of that and make sure that actually we're doing all we can to attract the next generation of brilliant bright female mps into this job thank you deborah Well, it's been an absolutely fascinating discussion. Thank you so much to all of you for joining Women's Parliamentary Radio today. Uh, Thanks, therefore, to Bernard Jenkin, Caroline Spellman, Maria Miller, Margot James and Caroline Dynard. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having us. Thank Thank you. Thank you very much. Order, order.